episode of the Inhumane Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Is there anything that is preventing you from achieving your goals? Anything at all? Is there a reason that you seem like you're in Stuckville and you just can't move forward? Well, BetterHelp is here to assess your needs and really match you with your own licensed professional therapist. I love that you're able to chat with them within 48 hours and it's not a crisis line. It's not for self-help. It really is just professional therapy and you can do this securely online. The services are available no matter your time zone and you can log into your account anytime and send your message to your therapist. It's like having them on speed dial. You can even schedule a weekly video or phone session and you never have to sit and wait in a lobby. BetterHelp is really committed to, you know, facilitating those great therapeutic matches, and they make it super easy and free to change therapists if you need to do so. I know with a lot of the service providers of anti-human trafficking organizations and people like you who are listening to this could have some vicarious trauma, and the therapists they see don't normally allow them to move back and forth. And so here, you're able to change therapists if you need to do so. Now, BetterHelp really wants you to start living a happier life today. And because they're doing such a great job, you can join over a million people who have taken charge of their own mental health and with the help of an experienced professional. And so we have an actual special offer for you today for all of the Inhumane podcast listeners. You get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash inhumane. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Alan Smith, the executive director of Saving Innocent Innocence and the co-author of Men fight for me. Um, If you have not listened to part one, go ahead and push stop. There's no point in you moving on. You need to go listen to part one um, because it's really going to set the stage for why he wrote this book, what's going on in it, and how we are challenging men to be part of the solution and like really part of the solution um, in regards to stopping and preventing human trafficking in not only your backyard, but within your own family and really around the world. So go back, listen to part one, but here we go. Continue on with part two with Alan Smith. I want to circle back real quick when you mentioned about power. So definitely in the anti-trafficking movement, right? There, That is really how most of the sex buyers are depicted is that they're there for power. They want to you know, have power over, over someone. Um, I want to talk about the other individuals and Jessica, your, your co-author, Jessica Midkiff, she mentions that, you know, she's like, some of these buyers were just weird. Um, she says they couldn't get a traditional partner. Um, and these men were very in a traditional way. Right. So here they are going and purchasing for it because they couldn't get it in a traditional way. Um, And she said when I read it, it made it seem like she looked at these men a little bit differently because there was no harm like the ones, you know, the others that she had encountered with by no choice of her own. Um, And she mentions that. And she says, you know, I felt sorry for them because they were lonely and they're paying for intimacy. and. Now, you and I know, I mean, loneliness, that can help. You could spiral out of control with loneliness as well, right? Just like drugs and alcohol. You're using it to fill a void and you're using it to numb um, whatever's going on with you. So it's just as dangerous. It's not like they get a free pass because they're lonely at all whatsoever. Um, 
But can you talk about that buyer? Because we know about the power. I mean, and there's there's more to talk about those who want that power. But it's that one, in my opinion, that's why people can't fathom that they're going to church with that individual or they're sending their kid to batting practice with that individual. Um, yeah. Tell us about that buyer. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting point for us to chat about. There's plenty of violent encounters. I mean, we literally have lost a number of our clients, our kids in the last month. They've lost their lives um, as related to this. And so that's been a tough season for us as Saving Innocence. But a lot of the buyers, and Jessica goes into detail, and she experienced quite a few of them, um, were lonely and um, almost considered her like a like a girlfriend, but they were paying her. Mm. And there's something had gone wrong in their life and their relationships. Right. She speaks of one elderly gentleman that just missed his wife that he was married to for 45 or 50 years. And he just wanted some female companionship and just wanted her to sleep in the same bed and wear, you know, wear the, his wife's nighty kind of a thing. And yeah. just, he just was just lonely and sad. He missed his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, another individual that, you know, would drop off money without even having an encounter just because he was going out of town. He just wanted to make sure she was okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so there is a percentage that is kind of sad, lonely, bordering on pathetic, um, right. that, um, you know, this world we're living in, it's not for wimps. I mean, it's a tough, it'll grind you up, yeah, especially in the last couple of years with the you know, the pandemic and people losing their work and all the stress and all the stuff. And for various reasons, psychologists could tell us all the exact reasons, but uh, loneliness and depression and those kinds of things are sort through the roof. Mm-hmm. And not every one of those people is a violent person. They're incredibly sad and lonely and broken. Yeah. And um, so they want to pave it's just easier for them. And maybe the only accessible way to have some intimacy, some version of intimacy, you know, he's missing out on true intimacy by doing that, Mm. but some version of paid intimacy, companionship. And um, there's a percentage for sure that I I would say that's the minority for sure. Um, The majority of buyers that we've seen really are, they may not be violent in that moment per se, but they are going through an egotistical, uh, an addiction. They are there to do what they want to do. Yeah. I'm not necessarily trying to hurt the person, but it's not out of any care and concern for the person. That's for sure. For sure. That's that where that objectifying, right? And sexualizing. And it really is like you could tell these people, hey, like what I've shared, hey, you're rolling the dice and you know, oh, I don't care. Like no, no empathy for anybody at all whatsoever. And we do. We live in a very selfish world, right? We've seen it for, you know, in the prof- professional development space where where I came from um, and still am, but where I came from is very much of like you and what's in it for you and do you and you, 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 it's all about <laughs> you. And it is created more and more of individuals becoming extremely selfish um, where now it is harmful because it is affecting literally other people, right? These other people, you are enslaving them. You are um, participating in that. And how are we going to get through those individuals with all of this awareness that we do with uh, informing the public and having the public join, you know, our fight? How do you what is the conversation with you all on how are you going to get through those type of men? You know, there's kind of a macro and a micro. And and in the book, I think, chapter eight, we go through, Okay, here's here's a dozen things we can do. Big picture society. Mm -hmm. 
you know, vote for the right people who care about this. And, you know, let's, as a society, allocate more funding for research and, you know, tracking tools, all those kinds of things. Yeah. And then there's kind of the micro view where you look in the mirror and we make sure our own life is going in the right direction. And part mm-hmm. of that is leading courageously as okay. men. Uh, I break down the definition of a man and pillar number two is that the, he leads courageously and we need healthy men who understand enough of this to call out the people they're in relationship with and lead and live differently. Mm. And so when your buddies want to go to a strip club on a Friday night or any night, uh, you have an opportunity. It's better. Don't, don't just not go yeah. take that moment to step in with your buddies and explain what's happening, right. that those girls don't want to be there. Other studies say that 89% of the women in the sex industry don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And you said earlier, 90%. So that's, that's according to the study that we've seen. So lead men, lead your friends mm-hmm. and, and step into this the pornography, which we've already talked about. Lead men, be a leader. Watch, let people watch you live your life in a way that honors, serves, respects and protects women and children. And that will inspire others. And then when you see it, call it out yeah. and challenge the people, you know, if we have enough men living that way, you know, we're not going to legislate our way out of it. Although enhanced laws and those kinds of things I'm all for, mm-hmm. we're not going to legislate our way out of this problem. It's going to take men on the ground, leading, living differently, challenging the people they know. If we get enough men doing that, we can see this go away and make a big dent in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you for that. That's, I think that's, you, you mentioned, you know, kind of our, the climate, you know, over the past couple of years, right? And it wasn't just like, oh, hey, don't just say, yeah, I support, of course, anti-racism, but it's really coming out and and calling out your your audience, right? Which is your circle. And that's exactly what you are, are stating. And wives, you know, girlfriends, uh, daughters that I also implore you in this challenge, right? Where you're challenging your father, you're challenging your brother, you're challenging uh, the men that are around you. Um, I remember in the, you know, in the 80s and when D.A.R.E. came out, right? And they're, you know, it's in every school practically, right? You had a police officer at every school and they're talking to you about drugs and things of that nature. And I remember when cigarettes, it was actually on there. And I went home and I was like, dad, you're doing drugs. And he looks at me, he's like, what? Like, no, I don't do drugs. And I said, yes, cigarettes are drugs. And so like, I had to go through that with him, right? To get it off my chest to, to, to challenge him. Um, because I'm like, that's what I know. And in the world that we're living in right now, when people are wanting to join um, movements, when you have women, young, young girls who are saying, hey, this is this is us and we don't want to be treated this way. Well, I'm I'm asking you to also speak for those that don't have that voice. Right. And they don't have the choices that you do and they don't have the platform that you do. And you challenge the men that are around you, not in a, you know, horrible, I think, shaming kind of way. I'm all about doing that for the individuals who are purchasing sex. But I think for, you know, when you're, you got to know your audience, right? And we're not trying to turn them all away. And I mentioned that to you before is that, you know, in this movement, we don't want men around a lot of times. And I couldn't, I couldn't disagree enough because I have influence on my brother. I have influence on my husband. I have influence on my father and the men that are in, you know, my circle. And I want them to join forces, you know, and family members that used to go to strip clubs that are no longer going to strip clubs because I kept speaking about it. 
and not shaming them, but informing them, um, you know, in a way that they needed to hear, not in a way that was just right for the general, you know, kind of population. So I love you challenging men. And, you know, at the same token, I would challenge the women um, to bring their men along and not think that this is just a female thing that we just joined for. You're the other half of the population. I, we need you to, to join forces, right? To make this overall stop, as you mentioned. Um, now, you talk about the pillar or you mentioned the pillars, but something that I think is just as equally important, and I'm, obviously I know it's related, but talk to us about authentic masculinity because I think, you know, as I mentioned, I think we shame men too much for being masculine, but- right. No one really knows how to define that. And I love y'all's perspective. And I say y'all because, you know, and again, people, you got to get this book because you're hearing from so many different people and the men that you have at the, at the end of the book that talk about, Hey, this is masculinity to me. This is what a man is. Holy moly. Like it's great. So talk to us about authentic masculinity and, and not authentic masculinity. Right. Yeah, no, there's a gold mine in the end of the book. There's about eight or 10 of my buddies and people that I know that, uh, you know, share their definition, their version of it. It's it's absolutely powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Chapter four, we call it man to man. And, you know, the the book, there's a lot of women reading it like yourself and loving it. There is a special emphasis to the male audience for the obvious reasons that we're talking about. And um, in the tagline of the of the book, it talks about the role of authentic masculinity in ending exploitation trafficking. Well, to say that there's something that's called authentic means there must be an inauthentic version. Mm-hmm. So the inauthentic version of masculinity, the, the counterfeit version, the diminished mm-hmm. version of masculinity is what we see portrayed every day mm-hmm. in song lyrics and in the media, on our many of our athletes and many of our politicians and many of our superstars. There's a, there's a hurtful, degrading, powerful, in a negative sense, version of masculinity. Some people have called it toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. You know, to have something toxic means it's poisonous. There's a toxin of some kind. You got to get the toxin out of your body or out of your your water or whatever it is, because it's poisonous. That's the version of masculinity that has the state of the world in the current state of the world. Mm-hmm. I actually saw a stat recently. I, said, I don't know if it was another podcast or something. I don't know what the research was or what, but they said 80% of all problems are caused by men. <laughs> and I thought, that sounds about right. Could be a little low. It could be a little low, actually. Like, show me a big problem in the world, and I'll bet you I'm going to show you a group of idiot, knucklehead, egotistical, in- incompetent men that are causing it. So, in this case, the exploitation and trafficking and all the ugliness we're talking about, it's mostly men. So, I felt responsible to convey to the men who will read this book. The same thing I started with my son when he was five years old and walked with him um, at an age-appropriate content through. And there's four pillars of authentic masculinity. And we gave our sons the gift of clarity. Um, what is a man? Is it when mm-hmm. he has sex? Is it when he gets married? What, what's mm-hmm. a man? Okay, here's what it is. Um, you know, number one is he accepts responsibility. Yeah. Not only for the things that are actually his right in front of his responsibility, he he accepts those, but maybe a few bigger ones that are out in society. He's going to step into it like trafficking. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's going to accept that as a responsibility. Um, two, he leads courageously. It's going to take courageous men to stand up against an industry that is trading billions of dollars a year. And there's 40 million people enslaved worldwide, all the way up to the highest levels of government and society. It's going to take courageous men to pick up that 
weapon and stand that post and fight that battle. Right. Uh, he lives a life of service. Um, he it starts in his home. All these things, man, it starts in the home. It starts with you looking in the mirror. It starts with your family and then let it grow outward. So he lives a life of service, serving his wife, serving his kids, serving his neighborhood, his community. And then the fourth pillar of authentic masculinity is that he understands that who he is, mm-hmm. like on the inside, is more important than what he does on the outside. So we were talking to our boys about character and integrity and follow through and honesty. Those kinds of things are more important. Choose whatever job you want to do. Yeah. Um, and that's good. Go get a job. Be a productive member of society. But what's most important is who you are internally is more important than the external. So we just defined authentic masculinity as someone who was living out those four pillars. We celebrate it when we saw it. We corrected when we didn't see it. Mm. And if you think about it, a world that's known for men who are accepting responsibility, not running from it, who are leading courageously, who are serving everyone around them and are focusing on the interior themselves. That's a world I want to live in. Right. In that world, there's no room for dishonesty. There's no room for deceit. There's no room for cheating. There's no room for buying and selling and owning fellow humans. Mm -hmm. That doesn't exist in that world. Mm -hmm. So that's my message to men. Do those things yourself. Get a few guys around you, hold each other accountable, and then do it with your sons and watch a movie that is, you know, kind of backs it up and then process it with your sons and focus on a different one of these pillars every meeting. And we had a great time with our kids growing up. We had just really a lot of fun. Of course, they were boys. We brought food every time and fed them good. And (laughs) we had a lot of fun. We had some kind of a sporting thing and playing, you know, hockey in the street or whatever. And then we'd have a sit down and have a conversation about one of these pillars. And, um, you know, I hope our boys turned out better for it. And if we can get enough people doing that, the world's going to change. I tell you that. Yeah. Like when you and I chatted about this, um, you know, and and this is why it's such an important topic for me is one, like I said, if men are the problem, then they need to be part of the solution. Right. And I'm talking actively part of the solution. Like you're actively, it's not me telling you as a female what yeah. to do. It's, yeah. it's from your DNA and your perspective. And I don't, I don't think to, you know, be fair. I don't think we're fair to men a lot. Um, in, in that perspective, cause we're just like doing this to you, right. Shaking our, our, our fingers. And these four pillars are so simple. In regards to like, because I always say life is simple. It's people that make it difficult, right? Uh, right. <laughs> and so, you know, I I told you and I shared with you, uh, it's so important because like the three major men in my life, right? Still to this day, and you know, I'm 41 and still to this day, love on me and tell me how important I am to them, right? And my dad is always, I, I've never thought that my dad didn't love me. Like he always told me that. And, you know, I could hold hands with my dad right now and I'm 41. Granted, some people have said, oh, is that your girlfriend? I'm like, hey, this is my father. We literally look alike, um, you know, but I I can do that with my dad still. And when when that's all, you know, you don't look at it until later on in life and you look at your friends like, oh, my gosh, they didn't have that. They didn't have this. And now I know why some of those things may have occurred and why they didn't feel so valued you know, and things of that nature. And here, especially with that toxic masculinity, right? It gets so confusing very quickly. And when you have men that are leading a life of service and and that responsibility part, because I think when men say, well, I want to protect women, right? Like, right, there's a part in the Bible of like, you protect widows and, you know, mm-hmm. Orphans and and to me and actually my husband he was telling me this the other day because 
something happened at our at our church with one of our really good friends who happens to be divorced. And a man said something to her that it wasn't sexual or anything like that, but he said something inappropriate. And I went and, you know, shared it with my my husband. And now he's like, I'm going to challenge that man because it's our job to protect mm-hmm. widowers. He goes, and now you have more divorced women than you do have widowers. So they need to be part of that. Right. And he's like, she's not my wife, but she's our mm-hmm. friend and she's part of our community and we need to do that and we need to be accountable. So I saw it from his perspective and I was like, whoa. And I said, see, this is where I think also with women and what we're taught by culture is, well, I don't need you to do that for me. I'm a female and I'm independent and I could do that all myself and so on and so forth. And so we're also not letting you do your job. Do you know what I mean? We're not letting you be an authentic man and kind of anything you'll do. We're saying, oh, I could do that myself. I don't, I don't, I don't need you. So how can we, how can we fight culture that way from the examples I'm kind of giving you? Well, I love what your husband's doing. He's accepting responsibility. I mean, he didn't say the stupid thing, mm-hmm. um, but he's a, taking responsibility for the situation. I'm going to do what I can. Uh, I had a, a good friend of mine who defined justice as making wrong things right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very simple. Right. That's what justice is, yeah. making wrong things right. Mm-hmm. So it's wrong that that person said that thing. So your husband's going to go make it right. I love that. Way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there's been so many terrible examples. I mean, I don't blame women for being a little wary. For sure. Um, There's bad examples portrayed in the media and movies and TV and people that are making gazillions of dollars pumping out harmful lyrics, Mm -hmm. um, degrading women and degrading sex. So, uh, uh, you know, you have every right. You have a case to be made. If you're wary, Uh, I would say for men, um, get your own heart and mind right and live your life according to those four pillars. Mm -hmm. And if you're a man of faith, according to the the scripture and, and the directions you have in there. Um, and let people see that, mm. not in a prideful way, but just live <clears throat> right. your life out loud and, um, your actions will speak a lot louder than your words. Mm. So and true. especially your sons and your daughters, your children, your sons are desperately longing for maybe in an unspoken way. What does it mean to be a man? And you're the first best classroom he's ever going to sit in about That's masculinity. Right. So good. he's going to, so he's going to watch you. So be that right man for him to see your daughter is desperately needing to understand what a positive, healthy male is. It's going to impact future boyfriends. It's going to mm-hmm. impact future husband. It's going to impact your grandchildren who you don't have yet. Yeah. If you can show your eight year old little girl and your 10 year old little girl, what it means, how do you treat your wife? Right. How do you think about, talk about women in the home? What kinds of shows and movies and music do you allow in your family? That's all. They're absorbing all of that, men. Mm-hmm. We have an incredible responsibility. Um, and, and we just have to stand up and be ready for the cause. And, you know, if someone calls you toxic or, you know, whatever, if they don't want your help. Okay. Um, all you can do is what you can do. Right. Um, you can live your life in a positive, healthy way. And I think the world is so devoid of that. It's going to stand out. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to take long. They may wonder, hmm, is this for real or not? Is he legit or not? You'll win them over and you'll make a big <laughs> impact because not many men are doing it the right way yeah. from what I can tell. This episode of the Inhumane Podcast is brought to you by Canopy.us.
Now, I know you've heard me talk a lot about the dangers of online in our world today. So I'm here to tell you about a few tips that can help protect your kids online from porn and sexting. I highly recommend, of course, to use parental controls on all of your family's devices. But the truth is that the average age of exposure to porn is 11 years old. And one in four kids have received a sext and one in seven have actually sent one. So that's why Canopy is such an important app to install on your kids' devices. Canopy actually helps prevent the exposure to porn before it happens. They use their technology actually filters images and videos in milliseconds. And when Canopy detects a nude or lingerie-esque image, it's saved to your child devices. It will give them the option to delete or send to you for approval. That's like a lot of checks and balances. So you can try Canopy for today by using the code INHUMANE and check out for 30 days free and 20% off for life at canopy.us. No, that's that's great. And you're, and you're absolutely right, right? It's always about modeling. It literally is about how you're living out your life day to day. And this is why when, you know, I, when I speak to young people, and they're singing some lyrics kind of like you mentioned a minute ago and they idolize this individual. But yet two weeks later, they're talking about, you know, people and humanity and so on and so forth. I'm like, does that line up yeah. or is it contradictory? Because that's literally what our culture is there. It's a walking contradiction, right? We want to do what's popular for the moment. And if it's something ethical or, you know, about social change, all for it. But yet what they're doing on the daily is the complete opposite. And I feel that if you do have that platform, going back to it is your responsibility to lead, you know, courageously and to say, hey, I'm singing about this because maybe it's about my past life. And I'm telling you that that life sucks and don't ever live that life. But they're not doing that part. They're only making money off of the parts that they think you want to hear. You see what I mean? Like we could totally use storytelling for people's past. Absolutely. Like that's what you have, right? Some of the survivors, they're, they're telling you their past for a reason so that we can save and prevent this from happening to children today and tomorrow. Um, but what's happening in our culture is the complete opposite of that. So when we're talking to young people, we're just like, hey, does, does it, we're, we're letting them make the choice right? And the decision. Um, are they modeling that behavior when they came out two weeks later fighting for social justice? Or is it just one particular social justice? Because to me, crimes against humanity is crimes against humanity all the way around, right? Whether it's trafficking or if it's racism or it, it's, you know, anything else along, you know, those lines. Um, and so these pillars are so good. And how, how are you talking to men? So, okay. They have a responsibility to their own to their own family, like you mentioned, and to their to their community. So I want to reach out more about the community because we know the individuals that are being trafficked. Most of most of them do not have a father figure, or so many men have been let in their home, right? And they've been abused as small children. So how can men who do have an accountability group help those individuals that don't have a father figure? Uh, that, that's a that's a big ask of our men. Um, they probably have already have their own family of some kind, and so I would I would 
uh, challenge men and ask men to consider uh, spending time with uh, uh, foster kids, with, yeah. with homeless, foster fatherless kids, big brothers, you know, the different organizations in your community might be the most strategic thing you could do is to give a young boy a father figure because he desperately wants one. And he's taking his cues from culture and from media. And um, all those are all the wrong signals uh, to, to be absorbing. I, you know, that's a, that's a great question. It's, I guess, nuanced for every man in his situation. Um, I, I guess my challenge primarily is to look in the mirror and get your own self right. And then, like I mentioned earlier, let people see that happen. And when you have the ability to spend time on a one Saturday a month, doesn't seem like a lot, but it probably could be life changing um, yeah. in a setting for kids who don't have a healthy, positive male around. And maybe it goes to two Saturdays a month. I don't know. Um, and um, get your friends to do the same thing along with you. Mm. And you can make a vast difference in your ecosystem where you live with kids that desperately need that. And uh, we're, we're, it's a big, it's, it's a, it's a big task. We're yeah. climbing up a mountain for sure. That's yeah. why there's no time to waste. <laughs> we got to go. Yeah. Barefoot. You're climbing up a mountain barefoot. No, no tools like Mount Everest with no training. Right. Right. <laughs> um, well, and, an example, just briefly, um, you know, this podcast will no doubt be published after the Super Bowl, which is in a few days. And it's just disgusting to me that the individuals, several of the individuals are going to be on the halftime stage and the music, mm. biggest musical gig in the country, the world, the halftime of the Super Bowl is a big, turned into a big deal musically. You've got a, a couple of guys for sure that have made millions and millions of dollars, built an entire career on the most vile, disgusting, degrading lyrics towards women and sex you can even dream up. That's right. It's plain to see. You can Google them up. Mm -hmm. And and so we're living in an exploitive culture where children and women and boys and men, but, you know, more women and, and, and little girls statistically are being traumatized and abused by a hypersexual environment where they've been commodified. And like I mentioned earlier, we literally had a number of our kids be murdered in the last four to six weeks, mm. not one, several kids. Wow. And so at the various highest levels of business in our country, the Super Bowl, we're putting on display for the world to see absolute pigs who are celebrating violent, egregious, inappropriate, inaccurate version of sexuality. Now, where, are they actually going to do it at the Super Bowl? I don't know. I'm not going to watch the halftime because I'm, I'm staging my own personal boycott. Yeah. I'm not watching the halftime. I, I don't know if they're going to go all that way, but it, that's who they are. And that's who they've been. And that's who we're shining the light on saying, look, it, this is okay. So what are our young kids supposed to think? Mm -hmm. What are our young men supposed to think? I, I guess what they're saying and, and the things that they're spewing about and the things that are on my CD right now or my iTunes, whatever, I guess that's the way it's supposed to be because... If the Super Bowl for crying out loud is going to get in that right. stage, it must be accepted. It's mm -hmm. normalized. Right. Okay. So it could take courageous, courageous leaders to push against that. Mm -hmm. That's a big machine. Yeah. No, I love that you mentioned that because we're actually going to do a live um, and talk about that piece. Um, one prior to and then the day of for sure about the Super Bowl um, halftime show specifically, because here you have some yeah. NFL players that are definitely all on board. Right. They're having this new. Um, they started what last year 
mentioning human trafficking at the Super Bowl and so on and so forth. But, you know, you can kneel for these other things, which are just they're they're super important. It's not that they're not. And you don't have to have one, you know, without the they can be done simultaneously. But yet nobody's saying anything about the individuals who are singing at the halftime show. Um, and so it there there I go again with I can never you will constantly hear me say that our culture is a walking contradiction. Right. So on one end, we're saying, hey, human trafficking is happening at the Super Bowl. Please stop. And you got NFL players and their wives on board, which I'm grateful for. It's not that I'm not. But then let's go ahead and do this and not boycott that. Right. And this is when consumers, this is when the public can take all that back. Right. And can actually be a force to be reckoned with because we've seen that over the past couple of years. Um, but it's like, oh, my gosh, you're you're seeing television shows being practically canceled because people are saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to participate in the you know, the stuff that you're spewing. So why can't we do that for the biggest show, right, that happens once a year? So I appreciate you mentioning that because it is. It's super, super powerful. And and honestly, we have control and we have power if we know how to use it correctly, right, as a as a public and society. Um, so tell us why why did you write co co-author this this book, Men Fight for Me? Yeah. Um well, when I when I came to Saving Innocence, I realized something really quickly. Uh, my first staff meeting. Oh, it's all women. Um, I go to a Saturday event at a church awareness event. At two hundred people in the room, there's 198 women. <laughs> a couple of guys. I'm there, and the other guy I think worked there. Um, there's just <laughs> very typical hardly any men. Hardly any men involved in the fight in this in this space. I mean, there's there's male police officers, but in terms of you know that aren't doing their job, there's hardly any men. Yeah. Um, and then it didn't take very long to understand uh, almost all of the buyers are men. Almost all of the sellers are men. Mm -hmm. Men are the problem. <laughs> Absolutely the problem. We're the problem, guys. Yeah. And um, so that was marinating on that. It was, you know, just embarrassed to be a man in some ways, frustrated. Like, sure. what, what's the deal? And then I went to an event and I tell this story in the book um, where you mentioned earlier a woman named Rachel who's since become a friend and she's a amazing survivor leader out there doing her thing, changing mm -hmm. her part of the world. And she's in the middle at this event talking about the trauma she was in and the, the abuse that she was experiencing. And she said, I, at some point I, I gave up. There was no way out. I could no longer fight for myself. And then she says this, I needed someone to fight for me. Well, that lit a fire in me. The hair in the back of my neck stood up, still does sometimes because I'm thinking, okay, in life, when you know what the problem is, whether it's a medical problem or something in your house, if you can know what the diagnosis of the problem is, now you can come up with a solution, a, a correct remedy. Right. Okay. This massive problem, it's indisputable. It's broken men. And now I have a trafficking survivor on the stage telling me I gave up. I had saw no way out. I need someone to fight for me. Well, that gave me my marching orders. Like, okay, I have to use my male voice because men will hear from men differently than they'll hear from women. I could talk to men about pornography different than a woman can. I can challenge men to being a father. A woman can't really do that. She's not a father. She's never been a father. Mm -hmm. She's a great mother. I can talk to men differently. And now I've been given this backstage pass. I know things and I've seen things that other men don't know and they don't see. Yeah. And that someone said, you should write a book. I said, oh, I hadn't really thought about that. Okay. <laughs> So I approached Jessica, who she tells her story courageously. She's an amazing survivor. She's on our team. And a number of other of these awesome women in there that I've gotten to know that don't work for Saving Innocence. I said, this is what I want to do. They immediately all said, I'm in. 
Uh, there isn't a, there isn't a book like this out there. Mm-hmm. There isn't a survivor informed male. Yeah. Speaking strongly to men. There's, mm-hmm. It hardly exists. Um, and more than just informed, um, collaborated with and um, co-authored with. So that that led me to the place to write the book. Um, I just really I didn't have a choice. I felt a responsibility and um, took us a long time. Took us. I mean, it was a good three years slow burn. It kept morphing and tweaking. We weren't on the quick train to just pump out a book. It was let's let's get it right. And we just had to say, OK, we're done. And um, here you have it in front of you. Ugh, I I can't uh, thank you enough for for writing this book. Right. And co-authoring it and getting the people that you have in here to collaborate with you, because this is a book for the public. OK, nothing, nothing, nothing against. I, I mention survivor books all the time, um, but I also know some of the public, they can't read it at the moment. I think they will be able to read it. Right. Um, but right from the jump, because we know. People don't want to know that all those things are happening, right? Um, And so this is why I'm always like, hey, you got to know who your audience is because you want them to be here for the long haul. You want them to join the fight so that we can raise an army, right? And it isn't a one and done um, kind of event. Am I grateful for those volunteers and helpful? Yes, they're very helpful. But we need them here for, this is an everyday thing. This is not just a big event one time a year. If we're truly going to eradicate it, if we're really going to protect the children that are being born, you know, today, this year, right? Because if not, it's just going to keep going on and on and on. And so I love that you took that responsibility on um, because it does reach men. But I feel also that couples can read this together. I feel that young people, right, it's super age appropriate for even, you know, some, you know, some late teens to be reading this, you know, together and and an adult facilitating it. Um, It's so important because it's going to make them look at themselves. And like you keep mentioning that mirror, right? Because you're absolutely right. If we're not looking at ourselves and this is men and women, um, because if women, if we're turning a blind eye, you are, we are culprits as well. Right. Um, and so this is just such a great book. And I I implore everyone to to go find it. Where can we find it? Alan. We created a little website called fightforme.net. And uh there's a, a click there, a link there to buy the book. It's for sale on Amazon. So somebody go right to Amazon, type in men fight for me. But we're sending everybody who will take the time to go to fightforme.net and the book is there. But more than that, uh the various survivors are there. Uh websites and books that they've written. We've mm-hmm. created, Jessica and I created a little YouTube channel where we're interviewing people that are in the book and, you know, so when we, and on each chapter. So we interview some people in the buyer's chapter, the traffickers chapter, you know, all these amazing survivors and professionals that are in the book. So we're filling that up. So uh, just to take another step forward, continue the conversation, go there, go to fightforme.net. I'd also invite you to go to savinginnocence.org, which is where I work. And there's a lot of videos there posted and survivors telling their stories and other people. You can just learn more. Take another step. Lean for, lean in. Lean forward. Take another big step, everybody, and buy the book. And I will say this. I'm probably wrapping up soon, Antoinette, but I'd say this, that proceeds are benefiting survivors of sex trafficking, mm-hmm. all these ladies that are in the book. And so um, buy a case of them everybody. Yeah. And, and whatever few dollars are made is going to go to a great spot. And more than that, um, give it to everybody, but for sure the men in your life. Mm-hmm. And, um, if we get enough people living out this, what's in the book and understanding it, uh, we got a shot at doing something big. 
Oh, we do. And actually that's, and I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that's what my husband and I are doing is we're going to purchase um, a bundle and share with some certain groups because we know it's important and the platforms that they have as well. Um, and so we're very excited to do that. Um, but I will say this, this is also not a one and done. Alan, I need you to come back on the Inhumane podcast because okay. I really think, um, you know, this is just a quick little intro of Men Fight for Me, right? And give some foundation. But I think we need to break this apart a little bit more and we need to unpack this, you know, more because it's so vital and coming from, like I said, the the male perspective and how you just so eloquently put it, it's essential. It's vital. We cannot do this without you. And I really also want to get into the redeeming part. Um, mm -hmm. And it's mentioned in this book and, and humanizing these predators, right? <laughs> as a buyer, as well as a trafficker. And you taught me something in this book um, because I have called them monsters. Absolutely. 100%. Um, and, and predators. And I want people to understand what that means. However, I know I need to do it more diligently by still making them human because that means that they are touchable, right? And they need to um, have consequences for what it is that they are doing um, and, and this crimes against humanity. So I need to have you back yeah. on, sir. <laughs> I'll come back anytime. I'll be a recurring character. I'll, I'll come back as, as often as you uh, want to have me. I love having this conversation. I appreciate you um, forwarding it. And, and I'll just say, based on what you just said, if we dehumanize the traffickers and even the buyers, then we're guilty of doing the same thing that they're doing to the victims that which we are fighting for. They're right. dehumanizing their victims. And if we're dehumanizing them, then, yeah, you know, we're not, we're not much better. So it's a challenge. That's a big fight. Cause I, I, yeah. I mean, as I said, in that part of the book, challenge number one, he said this challenge number two, he said that Yeah, like, I'm wrestling with this, but now there's a name and a face and a story. And I don't know what to do. <laughs> I know. I know. And like we've always said, right. Human trafficking, the fight. I mean, it's just, it's a very complex yet dynamic, you know, <laughs> a situation and topic, and it's not easy to define ever. And so we're all always learning from each other and for the public to understand and our listeners, they're, they're, they're grasping. They want to know what do I need to do for my own as well as for, you know, the community as a whole, which then affects our, you know, our whole world. And, you know, going back, I think when we do fight for our family and and I see it with my loved ones that are that are men, when they fight, they're normally going to fight for their family first. And that's like Braveheart, which is the poster you have behind you. Right. Like something happened to his wife and yet then he led a whole nation. Right. But it started with his family first. And I think it's inevitable that that individual who starts fighting is going to fight for us all. And the world's going to benefit from that. And the young girls that remind you of your daughter when you were hearing these stories, it's going to benefit. It's going to benefit those who are accepting responsibility, living a life of service like those pillars and understanding who you are um, is more important than than what you do. Like. I can't tell you how simple you made it, you know, with the the men when your son was five years old. Um, like I said, it's not an easy thing to do, but at least you give a foundation that we can then build off of. And it's going to look a little different in your family than it is in this family. But, hey, we built something that it's going to be harder to crack 
when this world is coming at you because it's built on solid cement and not freaking sand, right? Um, and so I just love love what you did. And I think the mental and heart strength is going to lead men to living a life worth living. Um, and, you know, I have a son that's going to be born in May. And oh. so, yeah, so more so. Thank you. Thank awesome. you. Yeah, yeah. So more so was I like, oh, my gosh, I got to get this in everybody's hands. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, even with the groups that we're all having a baby at the same time, it's like, hey, I need you to read this because we're about to raise a son either in the world that we're living in now or it's going to be worse or we can make it better. But we do. It does start you know, with us, right? As the adults, it does start with us. Um, what is one thing, because we're all about taking action. And as I said, we were trying to raise an army. So we try not to vomit on our listeners, right? Because they're like, oh my gosh, I can't take it all in. So what is one way that they can take action to support one, saving innocence, and then take action from this book, Men Fight For Me? First, obviously, y'all got to buy it. That's just mm -hmm. essential. You got to buy it first. But what are what are two um, you know steps of action that people can take from your perspective? Uh, yeah, well, you kind of said it by the book, but beyond that, um, I, I think the first essential step, and it depends on who you know who who answers this, will make it very different for whoever the other person is. However, you say that anyway. <laughs> what am I saying? Um, get more educated. Um, and if you're already considered super educated, okay, great. Now take that education and do something. People ask me all the time, what can I do? And I say, I don't know. What can you do? Like, who do you know? What do you know? What skills do you have? Mm -hmm. Do you have any money? Good. Donate to anti-trafficking agencies. They're all nonprofits. They would love to have you be a $50 a month recurring donor or something right. like that. So find a local anti-human trafficking agency, become a donor of theirs. If you don't know of one, go to savingthis.org. We'll take you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and every one of those organizations, they're working with survivors. They have tangible needs. Contact who's running the organization. What do you need? I already became a donor. Great. What else? What do you need? Yeah. Um, and, and if you're not sure about that, you can always bless the staff who are on the front lines working with kids. Find out how many staff, send them all a $20 Starbucks gift card, encourage the staff, thank them for doing their work, their hard work. So let's not only focus on the, the dear survivors, but there's people on the front lines, in some cases, putting their lives uh, in harm's way, Yeah. Um, support them. So I'd say find an organization close to you, Google it. If there's probably one not too far away from you and be a supporter and a blessing to that organization financially and with tangible items, find out what they need and then meet that need. Oh, thank you so much. And I. I love and I appreciate that you remember the individuals that are on the front line because they are forgotten a lot and we need yeah. to prevent them from getting burnout and yeah. we need to help them, which then encourages other people to join, right, to be in the trenches like that. And I think we also don't realize how they are putting their lives on the line quite a bit. Um, and so thank you for remembering, remembering them. Yeah. And Again, Alan, I can't thank you enough for one, being part of the movement 100%. I, I love being part of this kind of group and collaborating. Um, but I can't humbly enough thank you for writing this book because I do believe that it is going to save children. It's going to prevent this from happening to somebody else's daughter, sister, right? And, and, Thank you for calling out men in a very healthy manner. And I can't wait to dissect this with you 
you know, down the road. And it'll be sooner than later because, like I said, I'm about to have this boy in May. So we will have to have you on a little bit sooner than that. Well, Antoinette, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. And like I said, you've got my email. I don't know if you have my phone number, but contact me anytime and, and I'll come back. And uh, those of you listeners, if you go to fightforme.net, look around, but you can also send me an email directly off the website under this little contact tab. Uh, it'll come to me. If you have a question or a thought you want to follow up, um, I'd be happy to interact with your listeners as well and uh, point them Ooh, in the direction awesome. they'd like to go. So we're here for you. Let's, yeah. let's get after this thing. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all of our other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home online at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.